The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Today we're going to be continuing in a series that Pastor Tafara started about a, probably like what, three, four weeks ago? Um, and that series is called Living the Worry-Free Life. And so just as a recap, we found out that Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus had something to say about worry. In fact, he had, he had quite a lot to say about worry. Uh, we found out in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says three times in the very same chapter, he tells us to stop worrying, stop worrying, stop worrying. And then we then also found out Apostle Paul speaking in Philippians 4 verse 6. He says, don't be anxious about anything. In other words, don't be worried about anything. So church, as, as, as children of God, there should be absolutely nothing that we should be worried about. So don't worry. Amen. And so um, you know, really the reason why God... Um, you know, intend, never intended us for, to worry is because our bodies and our minds, they were never designed to carry the burden of worry, anxieties, and cares. You know, we found out some statistics um, that were shared um, a few weeks ago. And one of them um, I want to share with you, it was a statistics by the World Health Organization and, and, and the WHO. And so WHO cites that 75% of doctor's visits are related to stress, worry, and anxiety. And in other words, you know, the people that ended up in the doctor's consultation room actually had nothing wrong with them. They simply worried themselves there. And we also found out another really frightening statistic by the South African Anxiety and Depression Group. They said one in five South Africans suffer from anxiety, depression, and substance use problems. Man, that's quite frightening. Church, our bodies were never intended to carry worry. Our minds were never designed to carry the burdens of care, worry, and anxiety. And so um, as I was preparing, I decided to uh, look up what that word worry actually means. So my favorite dictionary is Dr. Google. So I looked up in Dr. Google and I actually found four different definitions and I want to share them with you. So the first definition of worry is to annoy, to torment, and to harass. Man, worry will harass you. Worry is a relentless bully. I mean, worry will keep you up awake all night, running in your mind the same permutations, running in your mind the same outcomes and the results, when really most of those outcomes will never materialize in your your life. And so worry will harass you. Another definition I found um, also on Dr. Google says thoughts that cause one to feel troubled or uneasy. In other words, thoughts, ideas, suggestions that the enemy will throw our way. And when we continue to meditate on these lies, because really when the enemy brings you thoughts, when the enemy brings you ideas and suggestions, they're just lies because the enemy is the father of all lies. And so when we continue to meditate on these lies, well, guess what? We're warring and the inevitable outcome is we're going to feel troubled. You know, we're going to feel uneasy. And another definition of the word to worry, the dictionary said to worry is to lacerate by biting. Man, that's, that's, quite a, that's quite a violent term, right? 
But this is really how aggressive worry can get in our lives if we don't challenge its existence in our lives. And then the last definition of the word to worry, which I, I thought was quite interesting, was worry is to choke. Because really, if we really think about it, worry can literally choke the life out of you. Worry can harass you. Worry can torment you. And if left unchecked, if left unchallenged in our lives, can eventually completely paralyze you and hinder you from fulfilling your unique kingdom assignment. And so it's really very simple, church. It's really quite clear. We need to stop worrying. We need to stop being anxious and we need to pursue aggressively this worry-free life that is available to each and every single one of us. So the title of my message this morning is Winning the War Against Worry. Winning the War Against Worry. Because really, church, we're in a war where the enemy is using worry as a weapon to steal our peace, to kill our dreams, and to destroy our lives. And so this morning, I'm going to be sharing with you from the Bible. So if you're watching online, get your Bibles out, get your pens and paper out. We're going to go into the Bible. And we're going to see what the scriptures have to say about worry. But most importantly, what I really want to share with you and really on my heart to share with you is practical tools that I've implemented in my own life. PT and I have implemented in our own life to win this war against worry. And my prayer for all of you this morning in here watching online is that you'll take these principles. And as you do, as you begin to apply them in your own life, you're going to begin to see victory and success in everything that has been holding you back. Amen. So who's ready? Who's excited? I know I am. You know, it's interesting that we're calling this series Living the Worry-Free Life because we are by no means saying that it's possible to live a problem-free life. We learned last week in um, John 16, verse 33, and I'd like to go there in the King James Version. Um, Jesus speaking in John 16, verse 33. He says, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. And then he says something quite profound and something that really we need to be preaching at, on every single pulpit in the world. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Church, in this world, you will have trials. In this world, you are going to have temptations. As long as you're breathing, as long as you're in this world, you're going to have problems. You're going to have challenges. But I love how Jesus concludes this very same passage of Scripture. He says, but be of good cheer. In other words, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. You shared that song, right? He says, don't worry, be happy. Why, Jesus? Because he says, because I have overcome the world. Another passage or another translation says, because I have deprived the world of power to harm you. Church, we know that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he completely stripped the enemy of all power to harm you and get this to stop you. And so when the enemy comes and he throws his trials, he throws his tribulations, he throws his challenges at you, you know, he throws all manner of storms of life at you, you too can be of good cheer. You too can be happy. Why? Because the outcome is inevitable. The outcome is that you win. You're a winner. And so Jesus says, be of good cheer. When trials and tribulations, temptations, challenges, and problems come, be of good cheer. Because Jesus has overcome the world. Amen. 
Amen. So God never intended for any one of his children to live a life that is full of worry, to live a life that is full of anxieties or cares. In fact, God has called each of his children to live a supernatural life of peace. And what's so awesome about this peace that Jesus has for every single one of us, guys, is this peace is not dependent on our circumstances. This peace is not dependent on what we're going through. And so let's look at some scriptures and see what kind of peace we have been given and what type of peace really we have been called to live and to walk in. Let's go quickly to John 6, or John 14, and we're going to read verse 27 in the Amplified Classic. So that's John 14, 27 in the Amplified Classic. Now, just to set the context of what was happening here, this, was, this um, scripture uh, really was happening on the night that Jesus was betrayed, which really was the night before he was to be crucified. And so Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, peace, I leave you. He says, my own peace, I now give and bequeath to you. Now that word bequeath simply means to pass something onto or to leave something to someone else. Um, that word bequeath is, is, is commonly used when someone is about to leave the earth or when someone's writing a will. And commonly in a will, what someone will do is they'll bequeath to you, for example, their estate. You know, they'll bequeath to you their mansions. <laughs> they'll bequeath to you, and we said this morning, their Bentleys. I receive. They'll bequeath to you sometimes even their clothes, okay? But I love this so much because in the same way, Jesus knowing that he's about to leave the earth, he bequeaths something to his disciples. And in, in essence, what he's bequeathing he's, to his disciples, he's actually bequeathing to you and I. And, and, uh, and ultimate, and, and, and of all the things really that he could bequeath to us, he leaves us a gift that is so much more priceless, a gift that is so much more precious, and that gift is his peace. And in the Amplified Classic, it says his own peace. So this is not a, someone else's peace. What the gift that Jesus has bequeathed and that is available to each and every single one of us as children of God is Jesus' own peace. So what is that peace? Well, well, that word peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom. Now, in the Hebrew vernacular, that word shalom is very loaded, and it's a very rich word, okay? In fact, there was no, there's actually no one English um, word that can accurately depict the, the fullness, the richness, and the power that is behind that word shalom. And so the English translators, the, the, the English Bible translators, uh, the, the closest word they could find to translate that, that word shalom was peace. Now, while, while shalom actually includes peace, it's also so much more than that. And so to get a really clear picture of what shalom means, uh, we really have to look in, 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 in several um, Hebrew lexicons. And one of the, well, some of the definitions that I came across was wholeness. So shalom means wholeness. Shalom means completeness. Shalom also means welfare, prosperity, and health. In other words, nothing missing in your life and nothing broken. But my favorite definition really of, of shalom is that shalom means wellness. So having shalom means having every part of you, spirit, soul, and body well. So having shalom means having your mind well. Having shalom means having your emotions well. 
Having shalom means having your physical body well. Nothing missing and nothing broken. Church, this was the shalom. This was really the peace that Jesus walked in while he was on the earth. There's a story in, in John chapter 8. We're not going to have time to go there. I believe it's a, around verse 59. They tried to stone Jesus. But Jesus, the story said he walked through the crowd as they tried to stone him, untouched, unharmed. I mean, Jesus walked in absolute and perfect shalom. And so he tells his disciples in John 14, uh, um, chapter, verse 27, again in the Amplified, he says, I'm leaving you this peace. I'm leaving you this shalom. Then he says, not as the world gives, do I give to you. In other words, what Jesus is saying, the peace that I have available to you or that I'm making available to you is not like the peace that the world gives. Now, in the world, they define peace as the absence of problems, the absence of challenges. So in the world, if there are no challenges, if there are no problems, yeah, then you can have peace. But if there are problems, if there are challenges, then no peace. Sorry for you. But the peace that Jesus has bequeathed us, the peace that Jesus has available and he has already made available to each and every single one of us is so much more robust and it's so much more certain. We can experience this peace in any circumstance, in any challenge that, that we encounter, we can walk in this peace. In the middle of our problems, we can experience this peace. In the middle of the most ferocious storms of life, we can be empowered to keep going because of this peace. You know, in the middle of such heartbreaking challenges, this peace can give us the courage and the strength to just get up one more day. This peace can give us the courage and the strength to just get up, put on my clothes, go to work and just show up one more day. This is the peace that is available to each and every single one of us. Do you know Jesus, Jesus himself had peace in the middle of a storm? There's a story in Mark chapter 14. Actually, let's go there. Uh, Mark chapter 4. Let's read it in the message um, Bible. We're going to read uh, verses 35 to 41. Thank you, Jesus. That's Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41 in the Message Bible. And so it says, late that day, he said to them. So this was Jesus, and he's, and he's speaking to this, his disciples. And so he says to his disciples, let's go across to the other side. And it says, they took him in the boat as he was, and other boats came along. And then it says, a huge storm came up. Oh, dear. In other words, you know, while these disciples were carrying out the assignment that Jesus had told them to do, right? While they were going ahead and getting to the other side, as Jesus had said they should do, it says a huge problem came up. It says waves poured into the boat, threatening to sink it. So this, guys, it was, you know, it was not a Mickey Mouse storm, okay? This was the real deal. You know, the, the, the boat, if you can imagine it, it says waves were pouring into the boat. So, uh, so I just picture the boat being absolutely filled with water. And I think to add, you know, anxiety to this is that they were in the middle of the sea. And so, I could, you know, the disciples were thinking, oh, we probably can't even swim. What are we going to do? Okay, so this is how frightening the storm was. But even in the midst of this, we see something interesting. It says, and Jesus was in the stern, head on the pillow. Panicking? Was he panicking? Head on a pillow, worrying? No. no, he wasn't worrying? Okay, head on a pillow, 
running around like a headless chicken. No? I said in the first service, oh, I can't imagine how anyone can run around head on a pillow like a headless chicken. But anyway, let's just imagine. No, he was not running around on his pillow like a headless chicken. In fact, what he was doing was he was sleeping. In the middle of the storm, Jesus was sleeping. You know, I really love to engage my imagination when I'm reading scriptures. And, and, and I can just picture this. I mean, this boat is absolutely covered in water. It says it was, the, the water was threatening to sink it. So the boat is on a verge of sinking. So Jesus, he was head on a pillow, sleeping, but he was probably covered in water. The pillow was probably soaking wet. But there he was in such perfect peace that he continued sleeping in the middle of a storm. And church, I want to tell you this morning that this is the peace that we can experience. You know, they're saying right now we're in the middle of an economic depression. You know, right now they're saying businesses are liquidating the statistics of business liquidations, that the business liquid rescue practitioners are making money because businesses are liquidating. But you can have this peace if you're a business owner. You too can be head on a pillow, sleeping like a baby. You know, maybe it's at your company. They're saying they're retrenching. They've just retrenched the, 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 the teams in the floor upstairs. And now they're coming for you. But with this kind of peace, this shalom that Jesus promised and has gifted to us, you can be at home, head on a pillow, sleeping. Maybe you're watching online and the doctors just issued you a report and the doctor said it's incurable. With this peace which we all have, this peace which belongs to us, you can be home, head on a pillow, sleeping. And so we see Jesus, head on a boat, head on a pillow. Not a care in the world. Sleeping. And then it says, they roused him saying, Teacher, is it nothing to you that we're going down? <laughs> Amen. I, I, I said to the, 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 you know, the guys who hear this in the first service, it's so interesting, right? I mean, they were in the middle of a storm. And when a storm comes, there's probably lightning, there's thunder, there's just commotion. It's loud, guys. But even in the loudness, the one thing that woke Jesus up wasn't the storm. It was his disciples panicking, fretting, being anxious and fearful. They said, teacher, why didn't you, you why are you doing nothing? To, why are you doing nothing? We're going down. And then in verse 39, verse 40, um, it says, awake now. He told the wind to pipe down. And he said to the sea, quiet, settle down. Man, three word prayer. Quiet, settle down. That's so gangster, right? Quiet, settle down. Mic drop. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Do you, do you, do you guys know? <laughs> Amen. Now, <Yeah>, mic drop. <laughs> do you guys know why, 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 why Jesus could use a three-word prayer? Do you guys know why Jesus could say, quiet, settle down? It's because Jesus understood that your problems have ears. Our problems have ears. What are you saying to your problems? Jesus, he said, quiet, settle down. And then it said, the wind ran out of breath. The sea became smooth as glass. Man, now watch this. It says, Jesus reprimanded the disciples. Now, I mean, guys, you'd think after all of this commotion, after all of this panic, Jesus would wake up and say, oh, guys, I am so sorry. I fell asleep. You know, my temple pillow was so relaxing. I couldn't help it. You know, I'm so sorry that it caused you to panic, right? But he didn't. He says, why are you such cowards? 
And then he says something that's so profound that we really need to get this morning. He says, don't you have any faith at all? Don't you have any faith at all? Because no matter how we, you know, we sugarcoat it, no matter how much we slice and dice it, at the end of the day, worry is a faith issue. At the end of the day, worry is having faith in your problem's ability to sink you, to drown you, to kill you. Instead of having faith in God's limitless ability to help you. Instead of having faith in God's willingness to want to take care of you. And so church, God never intended for any one of us to live a worry-filled life. He's called us to supernatural life of peace. And so when I read this passage of scripture about Jesus um, leaving us with peace, you know, I, I, and this was in my BC days, okay, the question that was really going around in my mind was, okay, fine, if Jesus has given us this peace, then why am I so, still so filled with worries? Why am I still so troubled about so many things? And, you know, as I, be, uh, as I really began to seek the Holy Spirit, he gave me the answer. He said, carry on reading John 14, 27. You know, sometimes answers come to us if we just finish the verse, right? And so let's go quickly to John 14, verse 27. We're going to read it in the Amplified Classic. Yeah. And I want to submit to you, and maybe, maybe it's you this morning. You're so, still so filled with worries. You're still so filled with anxiety despite this peace, this shalom that's, that's really actually available to you. The reason why is because we are allowing our hearts to be troubled. And so in John 14, verse 27, Jesus continues and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says you. In other words, the understood subject of the sentence is you. You don't let your heart be troubled. Now, I love the Amplified Classic so much because then it expands on, um, am I on the right? Have I gone to the wrong thing? 14, John 14, verse 27. You can just have it alone. Thank you. Okay, there we go. So it says, um, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then the Amplified, uh, you know, expands on this. It says, stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. And it says, do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. That's good news, church. We don't have to be troubled. We don't have to let our hearts be agitated. You know, we don't have to let things get in us, over us, through us, under us. We don't have to give ourselves permission to be intimidated. And, and, and what I've learned really from, from quite a few years studying the Bible is, is when Jesus tells us to not let our hearts be troubled, it's because he's already given us the power and the capacity to not let our hearts be troubled. And so when we make a quality decision to not let our hearts be troubled, when we choose to refuse to be worried, to refuse to be anxious, then let's see what happens in Philippians 4 verse 7. You know, we learned... Then we learned what, um, what uh, Apostle Paul had to say in Philippians 4 verse 7. It says, then the peace of God that passes all understanding. Okay, we can have it in King James. The peace of God that passes all understanding, it will mount God over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So that word God is actually a very interesting word. And it, 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 it's really making reference to military garrison. Right, And a military garrison is literally is usually stationed outside of the city walls or the doors or the gates of a city. 
and, and really their sole task for being stationed outside the city walls is to prevent a hostile invasion. A hostile invasion of what you're probably asking. A hostile invasion of the enemy from getting into the city walls. And so really if we're to put all of these scriptures together, if we refuse to let our hearts be troubled, if we refuse to be anxious, if we refuse to be intimidated, then it says the peace of God. Now this is talking about the same shalom that we see, saw Jesus living and walking in. The same shalom that we saw Jesus walking through a crowd that was trying to stone him. The same shalom where we saw Jesus head on a pillow sleeping. That same shalom will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That same shalom will mount garrison over the doors of your hearts and your minds to prevent a hostile invasion. A hostile invasion of what? A hostile invasion of more anxieties, worries, and cares from completely infiltrating the doors of your heart and the doors of your mind. Amen. Amen. I just want to share with you, and I shared this morning, uh, my own personal testimony. Um, and, and, and really, at the end of 2020, I believe it was, it was two days after Christmas. We were on holiday. And we, we got a call. Um, and it was my dad. And my dad never calls me, okay? I mean, we text each other. You know, I call him once in a while. But when he calls me, it's something really serious. And it was very serious. He says, my mom was, was really ill. Um, she, she, you know, he, he was just worried about what was going to happen beyond that, right? Uh, you know, he'd already drawn a foregone conclusion, right? And so I said, look, Dad, I'm, I'm going to call you back. I just need to process this. And literally, as I put my phone down, my mother's youngest brother, who I believe had, was, had been with her um, the day before, he calls me. Now, you guys probably have these people in your family that are always happy. And this is my Uncle Sam. I've never seen him upset. He's like, happy. We actually should call, it's actually funny, actually. My mom's second brother was actually called Happy Son. And we actually used to call him Happy. And it was only like two years ago that I realized Happy was actually Happy Son. But actually, Uncle Sam probably should have been the one who should have been called Happy. But anyway, Happy Uncle Sam calls me. And he's not happy that day. Um, he, was, he was very, um, very somber. And he was actually crying. He was very emotional. And he just said, look, your mom is it's just not looking good, right? What are we going to do? And so I said, Jim, you know what? I'm going to put the phone down, and I'm going to call you back. And guys, this is how much worry is such a, a relentless bully. Worry is looking to, to, to infiltrate the doors of your heart in any way it can. Because when I put that phone down, immediately my aunt called me. And that's my mom's sister. And now my aunt is cool, she's calm, she's collected, the most collected person I know. And on that day, she wasn't cool, she wasn't calm, she wasn't collected. And she starts to tell me, we actually need to start making plans to go, because it's not good at all. And I remember I put the phone down, and I just, I, I sat there, right? And, and I felt like I was at a, a, at a crossroads, and there were two paths I could take. And the one path... Um, was where I could decide to join in with the worry, pack up my bags. We were on holiday, cut our holiday short. And, and I was tempted. Everything in me was screaming, I, I want to worry. Everything inside me was screaming, I want to go. But then the other path was really a path of peace. It was a path which said, no, you don't have to be worried. You don't have to go with your emotions. You don't have to be troubled. 
And I thank God because I chose the path of peace. And I don't even know how to describe it, but at that moment that I made the decision that I wasn't going to be worried, at that moment, and I, and I had to speak these words over myself. I just said, I refuse to be troubled. I just refuse to be anxious. And I remember you were coming into the room, what's going on here, right? And at that moment, um, it's like um, the peace of God came flowing into my heart. And at that same second, my mind began to be bombarded with all the scriptures about what God had to say about that situation. It was like, I felt, you know, the moment that I made a decision not to worry, the moment that that peace started flowing into my heart, God was able to help. God was able to remind me that according to Psalm 103, Jesus had already healed all my, all my mom's sicknesses and diseases. God started reminding me that according to the book of Romans, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead was right now quickening and making making alive every cell, every organ, every tissue in my mom's body. And so we touched and agreed and we prayed. But this is one thing we all need to get quite clear. We didn't pray in fear. We were praying out of a position of perfect shalom, perfect peace, perfect faith. And I want to, you know, I'd be lying if I said everything got better on that day. It didn't. The wave started coming even more ferociously. My mom couldn't walk. She couldn't talk. She couldn't eat. It got bad, guys. But that peace of God that is available to you and I, it was like an anchor. We sang that song, In the Waves. It was like an anchor to my soul. It was like an anchor to my emotions, which were crying out to be fearful and scared. It was an anchor that reigned in my emotions and caused me to just focus on the promises of God. And my mom in that entire period, which lasted about a month, she witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle. And I'm hoping one day she'll share her testimony with you. But God was working behind the scenes on her body. And she moved from being in ICU, from not talking, from not walking to eating. Now, right now, here she's running. Okay? And so the peace of God. Amen. When we refuse to be anxious, when we refuse to let things get into us, when we refuse to be troubled, when we stop giving ourselves permission to be intimidated, when we stop giving ourselves permission to be cowardly, then this peace, this shalom becomes available to you and I. Amen. And it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So God has not called us to live in worry and anxiety. He's called us to peace. And one of the reasons why he doesn't want us to live worry-free lives is because worry is one of the sneaky ways that the enemy keeps us from being fruitful in this world. And so for those taking down notes, worry chokes the word. And it stops us from being fruitful. Let us go to Mark um, chapter 4 verse 14. And I'm going to read it in the Amplified. But maybe before, before I read uh, the, you know, the specific verse, I just want to share with you what Jesus was sharing um, in what's commonly called the parable of the sower. And so what we found in the verses preceding what I'm about to read is Jesus is sharing to, with his disciples a parable. And he says, there's a, so, there's a sower and the sower sows seed. 
And the sower sows the seed on four types of ground. It says the one ground was the wayside, the other ground was the stony ground, the other ground was the thorny ground, and another ground, he says, was the good ground. And what we find in, the, in those passages of Scripture is that only on one of the grounds does the, the, the seed become fruitful. Okay, and so when we get to Mark 4, verse 14, what we're about to read is we're about to read Jesus interpreting that parable. Okay, so he, he starts off in Mark 4, verse 14 in the Amplified, and he says, the sower sows the word. In other words, what Jesus is doing is he's, um, he's saying the seed that was being sown in the previous verses is, is actually the word, right? And it's quite a fitting um, uh, 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 description, because the analogy, because the word really is what? The word is, the incor- is an incorruptible seed. And so he says, the sower sows the word. And so I want to submit to you what, what Jesus then um, uh, begins to do is he begins to um, explain the analogy, right? So he says, the four types of grounds, um, he's beginning to equate them to four types or four conditions of the heart. And so he says, the first type of ground was that the sower sowed the seed was the wayside. Now, this can be equated to a heart or condition of the heart which receives the word. But because they lack understanding, the enemy comes immediately and he steals the word from them. And the end result is that that word becomes unfruitful. That word is just not fruitful in their lives. So that's the the wayside ground. Then he starts equating and describing and discussing the stony ground. And for this type of ground, he says this is a, this is a heart condition where someone hears the word. So, so they, they, they actually understand it. But because they haven't really taken the time to meditate on the word, because they haven't really taken the time to let the, the word build and develop roots in their hearts, what happens is when trials, persecutions, tribulations, and temptations come, this person is immediately offended. And the scripture says they fall away from that word. So again, what we see for this type of heart condition, the word becomes unfruitful. And so the third type of ground, and this is the ground we're going to be camping out in a little bit, in a little bit longer, is, is a ground which in verse 18, so that's Mark 4 verse 18, it says, and the ones sown among the thorns are others who hear the word. So this is the third ground, the thorny ground, right? And so Jesus starts saying in verse 19, he starts describing what these thorns are. He says, then the cares and anxieties of the world and distractions of the age and the pleasure and delight and false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passionate desires for other things, he says, creep in and choke and suffocate the word. And it, in other words, the word becomes fruitless. And so the third condition of the heart is, is a heart that essentially allows three types of distractions into it, right? The first distraction, which we're going to be talking about a little bit more, is the cares and anxieties of the world. The second distraction uh, can be summarized as the deceitfulness of riches. And the third distraction um, is the craving and passionate desires for other things. But again, the end result of allowing those distractions to creep into our hearts is that the word is suffocated. The word is choked and the word becomes fruitless. So I want to talk a little bit about that first distraction, the cares and anxieties of the, of the age. Now, the Greek word translated cares and anxieties is literally defined as, um, 
an over-engrossing mental affair. That's probably the best. An over-engrossing mental affair. It's defined as a condition or really a situation that takes all of your attention. Now, doesn't that accurately describe what cares, worries, and anxieties can do when we give them place in our heart? They literally take over our hearts and minds. And when this happens, the scripture says these distractions, they choke and they suffocate the word and they stop the word from producing the fruit that it would have produced in your life. In other words, the word becomes fruitless. And so here, what we see here is, is simply this, right? It's simply that, that worry, worry cannot coexist with fruitfulness, you know, a few years ago, I had, I, many years ago, actually, I, I, I lived with someone. I had a roommate, and we were, like, very different. I used to like to wake up in the mornings and in absolute quiet, silence. I'd meditate on the word, and I'd just start my day in, in silence. My roommate, on the other hand, again, I told you she was quite different, right? She loved to wake up in the morning, have loud music in the morning to get her day going. I mean, that's just the way she was, right? To each their own. But we got to a place where it actually just became really, like, unbearable. It got to a point where we became impossible roommates. It got to a point where we couldn't coexist. It got to a point where I just had to leave. Okay, And so in the same way, if we're looking at worry and, and, and fruitfulness, we, what we can say is we can say worry and fruitfulness are impossible roommates. Worry and fruitfulness, they cannot coexist. They are mutually exclusive. And so what we can say is when there is worry, well, fruitfulness, it has to go. Amen. And so, you know, when... We, What's, what I find so very interesting really about this parable is that the problem actually wasn't the seed. The problem is never the word. The word is powerful. The word works. The word is incorruptible. So the problem is never the word. The problem, the problem is the ground. And in and, 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 and this specific case, when the garden of our heart is so cluttered, is so crowded is so overwhelmed with the cares and anxieties of this world, the word is choked and it's suffocated out. And the word then cannot bear fruit that it's supposed to bear in your life. Amen. And so when we take care of the ground, in other words, when we get rid of the cares and worries and anxieties that, that we encounter, then and only then can we witness and experience the good ground the ground that is fruitful. In Mark 4, verse 20, he concludes this parable, and he says the good ground is really a heart that is not filled with all of this clutter. It's really a heart that is not filled with all of these cares. It's a heart where when the word is planted, that word gives rise to fruit, to some 30, to some 60, to some 100-fold fruit. Amen. And so the question you're probably asking as we close, geez, my time is well spent, is how do we get rid of worries? And cares. Psalm 55 verse 22. And I'm going to read it in the NIV. It says cast. Now we learned last week that the word cast means to forcefully thrust. It says cast your cares on the Lord. And he will sustain you. That word sustain just simply means God will take care of you. And it says he will never let the righteous be shaken. 
Peter, he's actually quoting from this exact psalm in the scripture. Again, we looked at last week in 1 Peter 5 verse 7. So I want us to look at it quickly, 1 Peter 5 verse 7. I'm going to look at it in the Amplified Classic. You can tell I love the Amplified Classic. They say, they say the Amplified Classic, well, the Amplified Bible is a woman's Bible because it's wordy. <laughs> yeah, women, we have a lot of words. Amen. Amen. I also found out it was written by women. So maybe it makes sense why it's so wordy. But anyway, 1 Peter 5 verse 7 <laughs> in the Amplified Classic, it says, casting the whole of your care whole of your care. And so this specific wordy Bible says, just in case you don't know what the whole of your cares mean, I'm going to explain it to you. And so it says in brackets, whole of your cares means all of your anxieties. Whole of your care means all of your worries, all of your concerns. Guys, listen, if anything causes you to be anxious, if anything causes you to be troubled in any way, the scripture says we are to cast it onto God. And then it says once and for all, so when we cast it onto God, cast it there and leave it there. Okay? Why can we do that? Because He cares for you affectionately and He cares about you watchfully. Amen. And so while I was, um, you know, really preparing for this message this morning, I, I found out something that's very interesting about that word cast that was used in 1 Peter 5 verse 7. That word cast was, was typically used in the New Testament describing a man who was carrying a particularly heavy load. Now, this weight, this burden was extremely crushing. In fact, it was so crushing that if this guy was to continue to carry it for any longer, it would, it would begin to affect not only his health, but also his posture and ultimately his mind. And so what does this guy do? He's carrying this weight. He's carrying this heavy load. He goes and he finds himself an animal. He goes himself and finds himself a beast of burden. And you know what's so peculiar about this beast of burden? Is that one thing that he recognizes is he needs something that is, number one, bigger than he is. But most importantly, something that has much more capacity than he has to carry it. And so when he finds this beast of burden, he, he literally heaves and he pushes all of that weight onto the back of that beast of burden so that that beast can carry this weight for him and so that he's free to go about doing the things that he needs to do. Amen. And so, okay, again, another interesting point. I think I mentioned it in the service earlier. It's interesting to note that that, that load is still there, right? It's not gone, right? But it's just not on you, right? That load is on someone else that is able to carry that load. Someone else that is able to take care of you. Amen. And so if we go back to 1 Peter 5 verse 7, you know, I, I truly believe this, the, our, our beast of burden is Jesus. Scripture says in Isaiah 53 that Jesus bore our griefs and he bore our sorrows. The scripture says in Isaiah 53, the chastisement of our peace. In other words, the atoning sacrifice, the punishment that was needful to obtain our peace was upon him. And it says, by his stripes we are healed. And so when we've got cares, when we've got worries, when we've got anxieties, when we've got problems, when we've got stress, hey man, we can cast them onto Jesus. He's got this. He can take care of you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. And so um, I love what the J.B. Phillips says about this. Um, in the, in the J.B. Phillips in 1 Peter 5 verse 7, 
It says you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him. Why? Because you are his personal concern. The Moffat translation, I love it, I love it, I love it. It says, let all your anxieties fall upon him. Why? Because he has great interest in you. Church, God has great interest in everything that touches us. God is interested in every facet of our lives, no matter how big, no matter how small. You know, on Friday... I got another personal revelation of how so very much God is interested in everything that concerns us. On Friday, um, you know, I looked at my nails. <laughs> and they didn't look good. I really wanted my nails done, right? I wanted my nails done for the weekend. And I tried to call every single person I knew to do my nails. And everyone was fully booked. And it actually started frustrating me. I know this is a girl thing. So guys are looking at me like, what on earth? How can she be like so stressed out about nails? But this was concerning me, okay? <laughs> He says, just chew them. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> or oh, my use my mother's down there. But these nails were really, like, I, I, I personally like good nails, okay? And, um, and I was stressing for about an hour or two into my work there. Man, I was stressed. I was, like, calling everyone. And I just decided, you know what, Lord? You know, you, you are interested in every facet of my life, so I'm just going to trust you. You're just going to take care of it. Amen. I cast my care to God about my nails, okay? Yeah. But guys, I kid you not, an hour later... There's a couple in the church who'd actually gifted uh, uh, me with a massage. And I mean, that massage was free. And so I was going to have that massage later on that evening. And so the wife calls me. And she's like, you know, I, um, you know, we've been sitting here this morning and we've been thinking, we also want to add to that massage. And then I said, what do you want to add? It's really free. I mean, that's like the most you could do, you know. She says, no, we want to add a manicure and we want to add a pedicure for free. I was like, you know, guys, that really touched my soul. God is interested in every facet of our lives. I mean, if God is interested in my nails, surely he's interested in your rent. Surely he's interested in your business. Surely he's interested in your career. Surely he's interested in your marriage. And so we need to cast our cares on the Lord, all of them, because we are his personal control, concern. God, you know, God wants to demonstrate his personal concern to you. God wants you to demonstrate it, wants to demonstrate it in your life. And so by asking you to cast your cares to him, he wants to bring solutions to you, church. He wants to bring solutions to the things that are keeping you awake at night. He wants to bring solutions to the problems that you are worried about. And get this, he wants to change your circumstances. Okay? So all we need to do, church, is we need to cast cares onto God and trust him to take care of us. Amen. And so the next practical tip, about how to win this war against worry, is we need to start talking back to our worries. We need to speak back to worrisome thoughts with the word of God. Amen. Jesus speaking in Matthew 6, and we're going to read uh, verse 31 in the King James. Matthew 6, verse 31. Jesus says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or whether withal shall we be clothed? So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, take no thought. In other words, take no anxious thought. How? By saying it. You see, church, the way we take or the way that we receive anxious thoughts is really by speaking them. Anxious thoughts will come. And they come to all of us. 
But according to Matthew 6 verse 31, the way in which we begin to entertain them in our lives, the way in which we begin to entertain them in our hearts is when we speak forth these anxious thoughts. Uh, Proverbs 6 verse 2 in the NIV, it says, you are trapped by what you said. It says, you are ensnared by the words of your mouth. And so practically, I mean, how, how do you do this, right? And, and maybe I can share practically how I do it. You know, when these worrisome, these thoughts that cause you to be worried and anxious really come to your heart or start knocking at the door of your heart, what I simply do is I refuse to speak them. In fact, what I do is I go to the Word of God and I look up a scripture that pertains to the very same thing that I'm worried about. And then I begin to speak it over myself. Amen? I begin to speak it over myself. I mean, sometimes the thoughts come to me and they say something like, you know, you can't do it. And I say, no, 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 no. According to Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, sometimes the thought comes and it says, no, man, you're so ugly. You're so useless. And I say, no, hang on, hang on a minute here. God says, according to Psalm 149, he has beautified me with salvation. And maybe for some of you, worrying has become a habit because to me, I was an expert warrior. Some, you know, there were times when I had to speak back to these anxious thoughts, not, not every minute, but three times in a minute. And as you begin to speak back over and over and over again, what you're doing is you're allowing the word of God to develop roots in your heart. And you're allowing the word of God to really be fruitful and manifest that in your lives. Amen. So we need to speak back to our worries. Amen. And as we close the third and last uh, tool uh, that will really help all of us win this war against worry. And really, this is a tool that I adapted from Pastor Rick McFerland, who's one of the Caris Bible College. Um, lecturers. Um, we love him. Um, and, and he always has this uh, a, a tool, and he always says the three-step plan to the victorious life, okay? And so today I want to share my three-step plan to overcoming the war of worry. And it's simply this. Step number one, look at Jesus. Step number two, keep looking at Jesus. Step number three, keep on looking at Jesus. And if step number three doesn't work, we'll go back to step number one. Amen. In closing, Hebrews 12 verse one. Amen. And we're going to read it in the original Amplified. The Hebrews 12 verse one to two in the original Amplified. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, it says, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. It says, let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. And so church, there is a divinely ordained race that has been set before each and every single one of us. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews says, before we can run this race, we need to lay aside, we need to strip aside, he says, every unnecessary weight. Church, worry is a weight. We need to strip and get rid of worry as a weight. And then he goes on in verse 2 as we close. He says, looking away from all that will distract us. Again, worry, cares, and anxieties are a distraction. And so he says, looking away at these and focusing our eyes on Jesus. Another passage of scriptures, or another translation says, looking unto Jesus. 
And church, looking unto Jesus is, is really simple. It simply means looking to Jesus as the focus and the example of everything that we do. And so when we look to Jesus, was Jesus worried? No, he wasn't. So I don't have to be worried. When we look to Jesus, was Jesus anxious? Did Jesus fret? No, then I don't have to worry. And so it says looking unto Jesus, looking to the word. Amen. And as we keep the word, the center and the focus of our lives, what, what we begin to do is we begin to choke and suffocate worries out of our lives. Amen. And we begin to win this war against worry. Amen. Why don't we stand up on our feet? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Someone say today, I take every burden. I take every worry. I take every concern. All fear. And I cast it onto God. I believe that it is no longer mine. Today, I choose to keep my mind stayed on God. Because my heart and my mind are fixed on God. I can experience the perfect peace, the perfect shalom. The perfect shalom that Jesus has for me. That Jesus has for me. Father, today I give you. Today I give you situations. Situations and circumstances. And circumstances and people. And people. Because church, there are people in our lives that can cause us to worry. Yes, Lord. They're what are called sandpaper people. People that just rub us the wrong way. And so instead of being worried. Today, we want to submit those people to God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And so someone say, I submit these people. I submit these people. Into my life. Into my life. And as I place them into your hands, Father. And as I place them into your hands. I believe. I believe. That you. That you. Are going to affect. Are going to affect. A change in my circumstance. A change in my circumstances. Today I refuse to be unsettled. Today I refuse to be unsettled. I refuse to be anxious. I refuse to be anxious. I refuse to be worried. I refuse to be worried. I refuse to be depressed. I refuse to be depressed. Fear. Fear. You will not rule me. You will not rule me. I am a victor. I am a victor. Whatever I do. Will prosper. It will succeed. Every project. Every tender, every business plan that I'm involved in, it will excel. It will succeed. I am more than an overcomer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. For I am the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus, I walk in safety and I walk in supernatural protection. When I sleep tonight, my sleep shall be sweet. I am God's beloved. I am God's personal concern. He is interested in everything that concerns me. And He has promised me sweet sleep. And so tonight, I'm going to sleep sweetly. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God the praise. Hallelujah. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. 
To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today. That's